0: Ah, oh, Miss Kelly's a real sweetheart of a gal. That's the movie called Brooklyn, and it takes place in 1951, and it follows the story of Ailish Lacey, who is on her way from Ireland to America. The movie gets nominated for uh, Best Picture and uh, Inertia, Sersha Ronan is how you pronounce the name of the woman who's the actor. She was nominated for uh, Best Actress for, for her portrayal. Of this woman on her way. It's a fascinating uh, movie at all sorts of levels. I think if you look really closely at it, you see it's a movie about finding a home, or how do we uh, make a home in our lives, and particularly, how do the relationships in our life help us either feel like we fit in, like we belong, like we have a place, or how do the relationships in our life kind of push us out and make us feel like we are outsiders? Uh, It's the summer of Acts at Hope. All summer long we're digging through this New Testament book of Acts together. Today we get to Acts chapter 10 and it's kind of a turning point chapter for the early church. Before Acts chapter 10, the leaders of the church viewed outsiders one way. After Acts chapter 10, the leaders of the church viewed the outsiders in a completely different way. Lens. Last week we talked about um, Acts chapter 9, the conversion of a guy named Saul who becomes the Apostle Paul. He's converted when the scales fall from his eyes. And we learned that there's an ongoing conversion as well as that initial conversion. The ongoing conversion for Paul is the same as for you and me. When we say yes to this call of Jesus in our lives to follow after him, we start to see ourselves and the world and other people differently. And if we continue to follow after Jesus, here's part of what it means. I will see the world differently today than I did five or 10 years ago. And it also means I will see the world differently in five or 10 years than I see it today. There's this ongoing conversion. There's this ongoing process of of growth. Acts chapter 10 is a conversion kind of experience, this ongoing conversion for Peter, the apostle Peter. He has been a Christian. He has been following Jesus for several years at this point, but in Acts chapter 10, he sees something that he has never seen before. God teaches him a new lesson. Let's read together out loud what it is that Peter sees. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. It's on the screen. Read this out loud with me. I see very clearly... That God shows no favoritism. God shows no favoritism. We'll come back to this verse at the end of the message. But here's what we want to do during the message, a little different than how I normally preach. We are just going to kind of dig straight through several passages of Scripture uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, Open them up to Matthew chapter 4, and we're just going to look at different experiences that Peter has in his life that get him to a place where he's able to say, I now see clearly God shows no favoritism. Matthew chapter 4, towards the end of that chapter, Jesus is building his team, calling his disciples. He's walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he sees Peter and his brother Andrew out fishing, calls to them, Come follow me, and they drop their nets and follow Jesus. A little bit farther up the shore, he sees a couple other brothers, uh, James and John, they're out fishing, calls to them, follow me. And the way Matthew records it is they leave their boat and they leave their father and they follow after Jesus. And so part of what we learn really early on, for people who are serious about following Jesus, a big part of what it means is we leave behind old things. It doesn't mean when your dad gets old, you just leave him behind. It means we leave behind old ways of thinking, old ways of seeing the world, old ways of believing, old ways of maybe categorizing people. We leave it behind, and as we follow Jesus, he teaches us, he shows us new ways to live. This is the passage where there's a pretty famous saying by Jesus Follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. He says to these four fishermen, Leave behind your old way of fishing. And let me show you, let me teach you a new way to fish. Jesus teaches this kind of thing, but he also practices what he preaches. Remember, Jesus is a rabbi, uh, a Jewish rabbi, and a big part of what that would have meant is Jesus, just like every other rabbi, he had disciples, he had followers. And the traditional way, uh, the old way that rabbis would choose their followers would be look for the best and the brightest, the academic and the intellectual elite, let's get them to follow me. The best rabbis had the best disciples. Jesus leaves that way of doing things behind. And he calls ordinary fishermen, blue-collar dudes. The reason these guys are fishing is they did not have what the other uh, rabbis were looking for. They weren't good enough. And so they're out fishing. But Jesus says, no, you're good enough. He, He takes outsiders, people outside the religious establishment, and Jesus uses them to lead his movement. And this is really attractive right away. Large crowds start to follow Jesus around. He's got this teaching ministry, preaching ministry, healing ministry. Great crowds are following him. And we turn the page from Matthew chapter 4 to Matthew chapter 5, and it's the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, Jesus continues to teach this new way of thinking about who God is and what God is up to in this world, including how should we think about, how should we view Outsiders. Here's one of the things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Can you think about times in your life when you felt like an outsider? I lived on the same farm the whole time I was growing up, but I went to three different schools. And so every time we had to go to a a new school, a whole new social social group, felt like an outsider initially. Two summers in college, I toured with a music group, but... I never planned to do that, it just sort of happened, so I always joined the tours late after the relationships had already been set up, and I felt like an outsider. You start a new job, you go to college, all sorts of things that happen in our life that cause us to feel like we are outsiders, but can you also remember in those moments where somebody that you never had met before, someone you didn't really know, you weren't friends with, they reached across that line, and they loved you, they were kind to you, and it made you feel like you belonged. One of the powerful things about this movie, Brooklyn, it just does a really good job of showing how much of an outsider you would feel like to leave the only home, the only country, the only thing that you had ever known, and to start a new life in a a new world. So Ailish Lacey is making her way uh, to America. She's on a boat. She's completely homesick, never been on a boat before she gets seasick as well. She's regretting this decision uh, almost right away, immediately. And then finally somebody reaches out to her. A woman named Georgina is also on the boat. Georgina's an Irish woman, but she's been living in America for several years, had come back to Ireland to visit her family. And now she's on that same boat with Eilish heading back to America, and Georgina reaches out and gives some tips to Eilish on how to fit in in America. Take a look. The way that scene ends just causes me to think, what, what must that be like? You step off that boat, you step through that door, brand new world, brand new city, brand new country, brand new home, and and you feel completely out of place and you're not really sure what you're doing. One of the things I love about this church is every weekend we've got people coming through the doors of this church for the very first time. And part of what that means is those of us who've been around here for a while, those of us who call Hope our church home, we need to be reminded on a pretty regular basis there are people sitting around us who feel like outsiders. Who've never been here before, who thinks everybody else has friends and knows people and and I'm new and I don't know and do I fit in and do I belong? And so a big part of what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount and what he continues to teach us as as we try to follow after him in in our time and in our place, is there's there's a real important uh, concept that sociologists today call this difference between bonding relationships and bridging relationships. Bonding relationships talk about the connection that happens when we're in relationship with people who are very much like us. Bridging uh, connections, it's the relationship with people who are different from us. So when Jesus says, what good does it do you to just love people who already love you? Everybody does that. Or to only be kind to your friends? Everybody does that. I want you to be different. Part of what Jesus is saying is don't just get stuck in bonding relationships, They're good. They're important. We need them. The church needs bonding relationships. We also want to be the church means we we want to have bridging relationships. How do we reach out to people? And Jesus says, our tendency, our tendency is to just surround ourselves with people who are exactly like us. And so bonding kind of comes naturally. Bridging requires intentionality. And Jesus is very intentional in the Gospels as he's uh, teaching his disciples, as he's talking about it, but also as he demonstrates to them, here's what it looks like to be involved in relationships where bridging is required. He moves out of this teaching section, uh, section of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we get to chapter 8, and now he's demonstrating it. He's showing this is what it looks like. The first guy he comes across is a man with leprosy. Now last week we looked at Saul's conversion and we said something like scales fall from his eyes when he is uh, converted. The Greek word for scales is lepo, it means to peel away. It's the same root word that we have here for leprosy. Leprosy is a skin disease. You would have scaly skin and it would peel away. And so everyone thought it was highly contagious and we need to stay away from lepers. And so they have all kinds of rules. Lepers have to live outside of community, outside the walls of the village. They have their own colonies, leper colonies, where they, and anytime they come around, they have to shout out so everyone knows, unclean, unclean, so we can stay as far away from them as possible. And this man, this leper, says to Jesus, Lord, you can heal me and make me clean. And probably the most important word in that verse is the word and. You can heal me and make me clean. In other words, this guy is after more than a medical miracle. He's after more than a physical healing. Yes, you can heal me, but the point of that is it will make me clean. He's been outcast, He's been isolated. He's desperate for community. He wants Jesus to heal him and make him clean. And that's what Jesus wants to be healed, Jesus says. Immediately the leprosy disappears. But notice what Jesus does next. He gives this man specific instructions. Go to the temple and do everything that the law requires so that you can be viewed as clean, so that you can be welcomed back into community. It's a miracle, a physical miracle, absolutely. But it's more than that. It's about connection. It's about relationship. It's about making an outsider know he's welcome. He belongs. He has a place. Next thing that happens, he runs into a Roman officer, the enemy of the people of Israel. And he comes to Jesus. He says he has a servant who is sick. Jesus, can you heal my servant? Jesus says, absolutely. Let's go to your house. Let's take care of this. And the Roman officer says, no, 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 no. I don't want you to come to my house. Maybe he feels like too much of an outsider for Jesus to do that. Whatever the case, he says to Jesus... You've got enough power and authority, you can speak the word wherever you are, and my servant will be healed. Only two things I notice as I read through the Gospels, only two things that amaze Jesus. Sometimes Jesus is amazed by how little faith people have, and other times Jesus is amazed by how much faith people have. Jesus is amazed at this Roman officer, his faith in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Among all the insiders, I've never seen anyone who has the kind of faith that this outsider has. And then let's read together what Jesus says next. It's on the screen. Read this out loud with me. Many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. My guess is for most of us in this room it's impossible for us to fully grasp how thoroughly divided the world of Jesus' day was. In Jesus' day, there were real clear dividing lines drawn, who's in and who's out, thick walls separating people, clean, unclean, sinner, righteous, male, female, slave, free. But the most clear line, the thickest wall that separated groups of people was the wall between Gentiles and Jews, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Acts chapter 10, if you read through that story that kind of changes everything for the church, one of the things Peter actually says is it is against the law, the Jewish religious law of Jesus' day. It's against the law for a Jewish man to enter into the home of a Gentile and associate with them. So it's possible this Roman officer says, Jesus, don't come to my house because I don't want you to get in trouble. He probably knew the law well enough to know that would get Jesus in trouble. And so you got to understand, the world that Peter grew up in and his brother Andrew and James and John, they were taught that one day God's going to send the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come and be the Savior, but not of the world, the Savior of the nation of Israel. And so the disciples, including Peter, would have been confused, and much of the crowd that was following Jesus around would have been confused when Jesus would start to tell stories, and the hero of the story is a Samaritan a good Samaritan, or when Jesus would sit down at a well with a Samaritan woman, Jesus is crossing these lines that everybody knows a faithful person would never cross. Jesus seems to be doing this all the time, reaching out to outsiders and saying, there's a place for you in this kingdom that God is building. Here in Matthew 8, Jesus says, Gentiles, outsiders, one day will sit down with insiders, Jewish people, people from the nation of Israel, They're going to sit down and they're going to share a meal together. It's like Jesus is saying, this is the picture of what it actually looks like when things are happening the way God intends them to be happening. Insiders and outsiders sitting down together around a table sharing a meal. So Ailish Lacey is in Brooklyn adjusting to her new life. She's living in a boarding house with some other Irish women. And every Friday night, the Catholic church where she worships on the weekend, they have a dance we should start having dances on Friday nights. They, remember, there's a whole community filled with people who are lonely and homesick, and so they're trying to build relationships. So Alish and some of the women go to the dance, and one night she meets a guy named Tony, and they hit it off, they talk, they dance. Tony asks if he can walk her home. And on the way home, Tony understands it's really important that, that he clarifies something right up front. And so Tony says to Alish, "I'm not Irish." And my parents aren't Irish and my grandparents are not Irish. And he wonders, is this going to be a deal breaker, right? An Irish gal and an Italian guy, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. They make, it through, they make it through that obstacle, over that obstacle. They start to date. But then there's another obstacle that bumps up when Tony invites Ailish to come to his parents' home and to sit around the table with his Italian family and have a meal. Take a look at what happens. Ah, yes, and aren't we all sometimes? Something important and powerful happens when insiders and outsiders get together around a table and share a meal. And Jesus is doing this all over the place in the Gospels, and he is constantly getting into trouble. Matthew chapter 9, he's still building his team, and he invites a tax collector named Matthew to join the team to be one of his disciples. And the Pharisees can't believe it. Matthew can't believe it. He's so excited he throws a party and he invites a bunch of tax collectors and sinners to join him at the party. And so the Pharisees say to Jesus' disciples, including Peter, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Pharisees say this to Peter. Peter and the other disciples weren't good enough for the Pharisees, so I wonder if maybe they're thinking, are they calling us scum too? Jesus overhears all of this, and part of what makes Jesus so attractive to outsiders is the way he responds in situations like this. Jesus says, look, I didn't come for the righteous, I came for sinners. Or as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, Jesus says, I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. And if you are looking closely for this, you don't even have to be looking closely, you almost have to be blind, you almost have to have scales over your eyes to miss this. Jesus, over and over and over again, he reaches across lines that people have put up to to keep people separated. He's trying to help his disciples see this this new way. Leave your nets behind, follow me into this new way of thinking about all people in the kingdom of God. Uh, One more story. It's from uh, Matthew chapter 15. I'll start in verse 21. Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. So we're about halfway through Matthew's account of the life, the teaching of Jesus. And a pattern has been established up to this point. A pattern for how Jesus is going to react whenever there are people who are in need of healing, whenever there are outsiders, Gentiles, women, people that normally regular uh, teachers uh, of religious law would stay away from. Jesus has a pattern for engaging with them relationally and often doing what they ask. So we have an expectation that's been set up as we start reading through this story. A woman, a Gentile woman needs some healing. How's Jesus going to respond? We think we know, right? Verse 23. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. That doesn't fit the pattern. And whenever, as we're trying to figure out how do we interpret Scripture, whenever there's a pattern that's been established and then there's uh, something that happens that does not fit the pattern, it means we're supposed to be paying attention. And Jesus is hoping His disciples are paying attention that maybe they've been watching what he's been doing, and maybe they're going to learn something along the way. So here's how his disciples respond. His disciples urged him to send her away, tell her to go away. They said, she's bothering us with all her begging. This beggar is so annoying. Get her out of here, Jesus. Uh, They're failing the lesson, right? Jesus is a master teacher, and he sets up opportunities for his disciples to show that They've been kind of getting what Jesus has been teaching, that they're learning these lessons along the way. As they leave their nets behind, leave this old way of life behind and follow Jesus into a whole new kind of life, they fail the test. And and so maybe you would think, okay, Jesus has this test set up, they failed it, now he's going to do what we expect him to do. Verse 24, then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. Again, kind of unexpected. And so we're like, all right, what are we supposed to be thinking? Is Jesus changing his mind? Has he been trying this new way for 10 chapters and he realizes, no, 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 I was wrong to be doing that, to reaching across across these lines and tearing down these walls. The disciples are right. What was I thinking? Let's let's shun and reject this woman and send her away. God shows favorites, duh. Maybe there's two tests going on. Jesus continues to give these opportunities for the disciples to get it. Maybe he's also testing this woman. How does she know to come to Jesus, a Gentile woman? He's a Jewish teacher. She's heard stories about his love, his kindness, his compassion, and the way he does things that's different than anyone, anyone had ever seen before. Maybe Jesus is testing her faith. How quickly will she give up if she doesn't get what she's expecting? I was only sent to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. How does she respond? Verse 25, she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. I always wonder what the disciples must be doing in this story. I mean, they've been raised one way, and now they've been hanging out with Jesus, and he seems to be leading them down a different kind of path. They're falling back into their old patterns, their old rhythms. Jesus seems to be with them. And there's this woman, this real-life person they're having an encounter with. I wonder if Jesus lets it play out the way it plays out. He's trying to plant a seed. Remember, he's a master teacher, a master teacher. It's one thing to get into our corners and you know, kind of isolate ourselves with people that we like, that we're similar with, and talk bad about other people and, and call other people names. But when it gets kind of brought out into the open, that's when we start to see how ugly our theology can be sometimes. Maybe that's what Jesus is up to. Maybe he's planting a seed that won't fully be harvested until Acts chapter 10. Verse 26 She's begging for help. Verse 26, Jesus responds, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Now, in our world, in our culture, dogs are kind of highly valued. You people walk around and you pick up their, yeah, you do, and carry it around in bags. <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld says aliens would come and think dogs are running the planet because of, <laughs> anyway, in Jesus' day, dogs weren't valued at all. They were animals, and like the lowest of animals, they were scavengers, they were gross. It isn't right, Jesus says, to take food from the children, the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and throw it to the dogs, Gentiles, like this woman and her daughter. <laughs> it's really harsh language, isn't it? What are we spo- how, do we- how are we supposed to interpret this? And again, the disciples continued, they fail every test Jesus gives them here. This woman is being tested as well. Is she going to start name-calling Jesus back? Is she going to give up and run away and look for someone else for help? How's this woman going to respond to the ridicule of Jesus? Verse 27, she replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. This woman is amazing. This woman refuses to leave. It's almost like she's wrestling with Jesus through Matthew chapter 15. Remember in the Old Testament, there's a guy who wrestles with Jesus? His name's Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the forefathers of the nation of Israel. Jacob wrestles all night with this, we don't really, just a man of God, it says. A lot of biblical scholars think it was actually Jesus. Wrestles with him all night and says, I'm not going to stop wrestling with you until you bless me." And he gets blessed by God, Jacob does, and part of the blessing is God changes his name from Jacob to Israel, that's where we get the nation of Israel, Israel which means one who wrestles with God. Here's this Gentile woman wrestling with Jesus, refusing to leave, I'm not going to leave until you bless me, I'm not going to leave until you give me what I ask for, I'm not going to leave until you heal my daughter. Look what Jesus is doing. He's changing this woman's name. She's no longer some unnamed Gentile woman. He's given her a new name, one who wrestles with God. He's naming her Israel, no longer an outsider. He's opening the door wide and saying, You belong, you are a part of what God is up to here. And then the story ends in verse 28. Dear woman, Jesus says to her, Your faith is great, your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Dear woman, imagine the look on Jesus' face. The smile, the eyes filled with love and probably tears because this woman gets it. And he says to her, the the word he says to her is the word we use when we talk about mega malls and mega churches. He says, dear woman, you have mega faith. Compare that to how Jesus typically describes the faith of his insider disciples. Oh, ye of little faith." And a big part of what Jesus is up to is he's trying to help his disciples see you've been taught faith is about putting up walls and excluding people. I'm here to tell you in the kingdom of God, faith is about tearing down walls and including people. It's almost like everywhere Jesus goes, every encounter he has, every opportunity he has to teach, he's trying to help people see God loves the world. God loves the world. God loves the world. Not just the part of the world where you happen to be a citizen, not just the part of the world where everybody looks and sounds like you, not just the part of the world where everybody worships the way you worship. God loves the entire world, and God calls his church... Followers of Jesus to take that love to the world. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world, sharing that love with everyone. Time and time and time and again, this Peter's following after Jesus, he keeps seeing this sort of thing happen. Scales slowly start to fall from Peter's eyes until he gets to Acts chapter 10. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gets poured out on Gentiles. And Peter's like, okay, 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 finally I get it. I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. Changed everything for Peter, changed everything for Paul, these leaders of the early church. Paul will say things like, now because of Jesus in the kingdom of God, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, no longer slave or free, male or female, we're all one because of Jesus. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter two, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. Jesus broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Don't forget, hope. You used to be Gentiles, used to be outsiders. God's love through Jesus has brought us in, given us a home, told us that there's a place for us here, that we belong. So do the same thing. Reach out to the world around you. Find the people who don't think there's a place for them and invite them and let them know there absolutely is a place for them in God's family. One more scene from this movie, Brooklyn. Ailish Lacey comes from Ireland to America because of her church. Father Flood arranges everything, the boat fare, the boarding house, a job, uh, night classes so that she could advance in her profession. Lots of movies portray the church in kind of ugly ways. This movie actually portrays the church doing what church is supposed to be doing. And Father Flood says to Eilish that first Christmas, can you help me serve a meal to a bunch of homeless, lonely old men, outsiders who are longing for home?" And so as you watch this scene and as we get ready to come to the Lord's table for communion, be thinking about who it is in your life that God's asking you, reach out across those dividing lines and build these kind of bridging relationships with people who are maybe not very much like you at all. Take a look. There's a lot of lonely and homesick people in our world, and sometimes it's us, sometimes The way life happens and the things that go on in our week cause us to arrive here at worship and wonder, do we really belong? Is there really a place for us? Does God really say, come, sit around the table and have a meal with me?